Are you one of those people who waits to the last minute to do things? You wait to pack your suitcase till 15 minutes before you're supposed to leave. You wait to put gas in your car until it's running on fumes. In school, you waited to study for the test until the morning the test was supposed to be given. You may have managed to get by most of your life being a procrastinator. But here's the thing. Waiting until the last minute to leave only works when you know when you're leaving. Right? Waiting till the last minute to put gas in your car only works if you know when you're going to run out. Waiting until the last minute to study for a test only works if you know when the test is going to be given. In other words, the only way you can wait till the last minute to get ready and be ready is if you know when the last minute is. Does that make sense? Today, we're going to discover the truth that Jesus is coming back. Procrastinators should beware. Because you can't wait for the last minute to get ready for Jesus' return. Why? Because you have no idea when that's going to be. You won't have time to get ready. That's why you have to stay ready at all times. And that's the message of Mark chapter 13. Stay faithful at all times. We began looking at Mark 13 last Sunday night. Let me briefly remind you of the context so we don't get lost in what's going on. It is only a couple of days before the end of Jesus' life. It is the week of the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem. By day, Jesus has been in the temple having controversy with the religious leaders. They've been trying to trap him in his words so they can gather ammunition to use against him at a trial. They have determined that he must die. But they've been unable to catch him in his words. His wisdom is too far above them. And Jesus has come to the point now of declaring condemnation on the corrupt religious leadership and their corrupted religious system. He says the whole thing is going to be removed and replaced. And as we looked at the first 23 verses of Mark 13 last Sunday night, we discovered that Jesus in these verses is predicting that the temple is going to be absolutely destroyed. That religion as the Jews knew it up to that point was coming to an end. One of the disciples 
when they were leaving the temple, said, Lord, look at all these beautiful stones. Look at all the beauty of the temple. And Jesus said, you see all of this? Not one stone will be left standing upon another. It's all going to be destroyed. And of course, their question was, when is this all going to happen? What's a sign that we can look for to know it's about to happen? So Jesus spends all the way through verses, basically down to verse 23, answering their questions. First, he tells them there are some things that are not signs that the temple is about to be destroyed. You don't need to be fooled by these things. And he lists several of them, wars and persecutions and famines and earthquakes. He said, these things are all going to happen, but that, that's not time yet. It's not going to happen yet. And in verses 14 to 23, he says, but when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the temple desecrated, then you'll know that the time has come for the temple to be wiped out. And we talked about last week how what Jesus predicted happened exactly the way he said it in the year A.D. 70 under Commander Titus. The Romans came into Jerusalem and absolutely decimated it. Not one stone from the temple was left in its place. It was burned and absolutely taken apart piece by piece. Millions of Jews dead. They crucified as many as 500 Jews a day until they finally ran out of wood to use to make crosses. It was a horror and a trouble and like nothing the Jews had ever seen before. Just like Jesus said, the old religious order came to a screeching halt. And the reason God brought that to be, well, because the corruption of the old system was being replaced by Christ as the center of true religion. The old corrupt Religion was gone and Jesus was coming to now be the center of worship. That's the first point in this message. That's what we spent last Sunday night looking at. Now I want to read verses 24 through 37. And we're going to look at the rest of this chapter together. Please stand for the reading of God's word. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. 
Seek to it. Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, leaving his house and giving authority to his slaves, each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We ask you to teach us today. By your spirit, open our minds and hearts and eyes to know the truth. God, and help us, Father, to respond obediently to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So in the beginning of this chapter, the first 23 verses, we're seeing that the old order of religion is passing away. Giving room for Jesus to be the center of all true religion. But we move on to notice something else Jesus teaches in verses 24 through 27. And it is this. Jesus is coming to gather his own. Now, when we get to verses 24 through 27, there is a shift in subject. Jesus has been talking about the destruction of the temple that was the question the disciples asked he told them the temple is going to be destroyed they said how are we going to know when this is going to happen he answers their question but in verse 24 he changes the subject and there's a couple of ways we know he's changing the subject first of all we know he's no longer talking about the events surrounding the destruction of jerusalem because in verse 23 notice what he said see I have told you everything in advance. Catch what he said. I have told you everything you need to know in response to your question back in verse 4. When is this going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? What's going to be a sign? Verse 23, he says, okay, now I've told you everything. So he's answered their question. Now, verse 24, notice this. In those days after that tribulation. What tribulation is he talking about? The tribulation he was describing in verses 14 through 23. The tribulation that, he, that is signaled by the desecration of the temple. Now, notice what he's talking about. He's talking about something that happens after those days. Are you with me? We're no longer talking about what happens during the days of the destruction of Jerusalem. Now he's talking about something that's going to happen after. There's one more thing I want you to notice. Verse 27. It says Jesus is going to send his angels. They will gather together his elect from the four winds. Watch this. From the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now, if you remember, back in verses 14 through 23, Jesus is talking about something that's going to happen in Judea and Jerusalem. Go back and read it. Now he's talking about an event that's going to incorporate all of creation from the farthest end of heaven to the farthest end of earth. Are you with me? So he's moving on to something that, that is grander in scope. Something that happens at some point in the future. 
the impact of which will be felt from the farthest end of earth to the farthest end of heaven. So what is this event he's talking about? What is this that's going to happen at some point after the destruction of Jerusalem? Well, notice what he says in verse 24. He mentions three cosmic signs. The darkening of the sun and moon, the stars falling from the sky, and the shaking of heavenly bodies. This kind of language is used often in the Old Testament to describe different historical events. Let me give you an example. Isaiah 13. In Isaiah 13, God is describing the destruction of Babylon by the Medes and the Persians. Listen at the language he uses in verses 9 to 13. Behold, the day of Yahweh is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the pride of the arrogant and bring low the lofty pride of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of Yahweh of hosts in the day of his burning anger. You see that exact same language of those constellations, the stars and moon being dark, the earth being shaken. This is the language God used of something that happened in the past when Babylon was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. He uses the same language in Jeremiah 4 describing the destruction of Jerusalem by, by, uh, by the Babylonians when Nebuchadnezzar went in and destroyed Jerusalem. He uses the same language in Amos 8 about the destruction of the city of Samaria. He uses the same language again in Ezekiel 32 about the destruction of Pharaoh's army. So this, this kind of language about the sun being darkened and the moon being darkened, the stars falling, the heaven, heavenly bodies being shaken. This is common language in the Old Testament. And what it's clear when you read all the examples it's describing something being destroyed by an act of God. That's what this language pictures. Now, you and I know from the teachings of Scripture that the present heaven and earth will be destroyed. And there will be a new heaven and earth. Isaiah 65, 17 is the first place we see this mentioned. For behold, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth. This is confirmed in the New Testament in a couple of places. 2 Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. So in verses 24 and 25 of Mark 13, when Jesus mentions these cosmic signs, this is what he's describing. He's describing the time when the present heaven and earth 
will be destroyed at the hands of God and will give way to the new heaven and earth. And these cosmic signs are going to happen as a response to Jesus coming again in glory. Verse 26. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with, power, with great power and glory. Notice several things about this. First, he's coming visibly. You see it? They will see his coming. Revelation 1.7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Secondly, he's coming from heaven. You see the phrase coming with the clouds? That describes a divine mode of transport. In other words, he's coming from God, from heaven. Third, he's coming in power. That means he's coming to reign as king. He's coming to establish the eternal kingdom of God and himself as ruler. You might say it like this. He's coming to take over. Amen. Fourth, he's coming with glory. That means when he comes, it will be with a visible display of the glory and majesty and splendor of God like nothing anyone has ever seen. Fifth, he is coming to gather his own. Verse 27, he will send forth the angels, will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of earth to the farthest end of heaven. Jesus is going to return with an army of heavenly hosts under his authority and he will send them to gather his chosen ones. All believers from all over the world will be gathered together to be with their Lord forever. Now I want you to get this picture in your mind. What, what is he describing in these verses? Jesus is going to come from heaven in a magnificent display of the glory of God. The hosts of heaven will be ushered out to gather all believers. The present heaven and earth will be dissolved and destroyed and will make way for the new heaven and earth. There in the new heaven and earth with his redeemed people now made perfect Jesus will set up the kingdom of God which will have no end. This is what Jesus is saying. At some point, after the destruction of Jerusalem, after those horrible days, that's not the end of it. At some point in the future, he tells his disciples, I am going to return to this earth again in a great display of glory. All of my own will be gathered to me. This present heaven and earth will be destroyed. The new heaven and earth will come and the eternal kingdom of God will be established over which Jesus will reign in power forever. So there are two things Jesus is predicting in Mark chapter 13. He's predicting the destruction of the temple in the old religious order to make way for Jesus and the now true religion. And secondly, he's predicting that he's going to come in power and glory. Again, what we refer to and think of as the second coming. 
Now, when we get to verses 28 to 34, excuse me, 28 to 37, what Jesus is now telling us is what should our response to all that be? He said that Jerusalem would be destroyed, and it was exactly when he said and how he said. It happened. He said he's going to come back. So what do we do? How do we respond to all of that? That's what we find in verses 28 to 37. And the answer is simply this. Stay faithful to Jesus at all times. Stay faithful to Jesus at all times. So Jesus has given two predictions. One regarding the destruction of the temple. One regarding his coming. And in verses 28 through 34, Jesus is going to revisit both of those predictions. In verses 28 through 30, I want you to look at that for just a minute. Jesus is urging his disciples to be on the lookout for the signs he gave them about the destruction of Jerusalem. If you remember back beginning in verse 14, Jesus gave them a sign so they could know when Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. Now in verses 28 to 30, what he's doing, he's telling them to be on the lookout for those signs. Look what he says. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize he, it is near right at the door. Okay, in the spring, March, April, the fig tree begins to put forth new leaves, new green leaves. Jesus is saying, when you see that, you know that summer's near. Why do you know summer's near? Because the fig tree puts forth its leaves in the spring. So you know summer's coming soon. Now verse 29, look at it. Even so, when you see these things happening, what things? Well, the things he described in verse 14. The abomination of desecration, the, the, the desecration of the temple, and all of the terrible things that are happening, are going to happen in Jerusalem. He says, when you see that, you'll know, watch what it says. In most translations, it'll say, you know that, he is near. When you see these things happening, recognize he is near right at the door. I need to point out something to you. This is a third person pronoun. It's translated most of the time he. But it could be he, she, or it. It's just a generic third person pronoun. In this case, it should be translated it. And here's why. Because it's not referring here to the return of Jesus, but to the events he described in verses 14 through 23, the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, look for the sign I gave you, the desecration of the temple. When you see that, you'll know that the destruction of Jerusalem is near. It's right at the door. Now, how do I know that's what he's talking about. How do I know that's what he's talking about? That he's talking there when he says, look for the sign. How do, you, how do I know he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Verse 31. Excuse me, verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away 
until all these things take place. This generation, in other words, the people who were alive at the time Jesus was alive. Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed before the generation of people currently alive had all passed away. And just as he predicted, 40 years later, the temple was destroyed and many of the people of Jesus' day were still alive when it happened. What he's referring to in verses 28 and 29 is to look for the signs for some event and that event is going to happen before the generation of Jesus passes away. How many of you know that it's been more than one generation since Jesus died? Do this if you know that. How many of you know Jesus hasn't come back yet? Do this if you know that. So in verses 28 to 30, Jesus is saying, Look for the signs. I told you what to look for so you can be prepared for when Jerusalem is going to be ransacked, when it's going to fall. Look for the signs. Now, verse 32. Excuse me, verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There are two things Jesus does in this verse. One, he's assuring his disciples that what he has predicted will most certainly come to pass, and it did. Two, he's making a transition here from speaking about the destruction of the temple again. He's transitioning again to talking about his return that he predicted in 24 through 27. Notice a couple of things. He says in verse uh, 31, heaven and earth will pass away. Well, if you remember, that's what he's describing in verses 24 and 25. He's describing how when he returns, the old creation is going to be destroyed. So he's going back to this conversation about the passing away of heaven and earth. Now, this is what I want you to see. So he's saying in verse 31, Heaven and earth is going to pass away just like I said. But what I'm telling you, these words are not going to pass away. They're certainly going to come to pass. Now look at verse 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. Now keep in mind, he's just transitioned back to talking about his return. So that day is a reference to the day heaven and earth will pass away. The day Jesus will come back. Don't miss what he's saying here. Follow me, okay? He said, I've given you a sign so that you will know when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. I've told you what to look for so that you can be ready when that happens. But there is no sign I can give you to tell you when I'm coming back. I can't give you a sign. Why? Look at verse 32. Because of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, only the Father. 
He says, I've given you a sign to know when the temple is going to be destroyed, when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. I've given you a sign so you can be aware. But I'm telling you, I'm going to come back and I can't give you a sign for that because nobody knows when it's going to happen. This week, the last week or two, there's a lot in the news about war in Israel. And all the prophecy gurus on Facebook and everywhere else are preaching, you know, this is a sign. This is a sign that the time of Jesus' return is drawing near. All this trouble in the Middle East with Israel. Look at me. Look at me. No, it's not. No, it's not. It is absolutely not a sign that Jesus is about to return. Amen. You know how I know? I'm not giving you my opinion. Verse 32. Of that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows. Is that not as clear as black and white on the page? Of that day and hour, no one knows what he's saying. I can't give you a sign. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. There's been war in the Middle East since the beginning of creation. And it will continue until the end of creation. Ever since Israel has been in existence, Israel has been at war with somebody. Now why is Jesus telling them this? He says, look, I've given you a sign the temple's going to be destroyed. I want you to be on the lookout for that so you can be ready. But I can't give you a sign for when I'm going to return. So what does he want them to do? Verse 33. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. See to it. Keep on the alert. For you don't know when the appointed time will come. You don't know when Jesus is going to come, so stay on the alert. How are we supposed to get ready for his coming if we don't have any idea when it's going to be? You don't get ready for his coming. You stay ready. That's the whole point. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 33 to 37. Verse 34, it's like a man away on a journey, leaving his house, giving authority to his slaves. Each one his task also commanded the doorkeeper to stay awake. Think of the man on a journey as Jesus. He's gone back to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He left his slaves in charge of his business on earth. That would be his followers including the doorkeeper. Now the doorkeeper's job is to keep unwanted visitors out and to admit those who are welcome, including the master. He would let them enter through the doors of the house, which was locked from the inside. So since the doorkeeper never knew when the master was going to return, he had to be alert at all times. Verse 35, therefore stay awake because you don't know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight when the rooster crows or in the morning. He mentions all four watches of the night. Why does he mention all four watches of the night? Because the night is the least likely time to have somebody show up at the house. In other words, you have to be ready even when it's least expected for the master to come back. What's he trying to say? 
Verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What's the point? If it's not obvious, he says it three times in verses 35 to 37. Therefore, stay awake. You see it? Verse 34, he commanded the doorkeeper, stay awake. Verse 36, excuse me, verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. He said it three times, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. What does all that mean? It means Jesus' followers are always on duty. Always, constantly have to be alert, prepared for His sudden, unexpected return. We know that's what Jesus means because He says it three times. Stay awake. So what exactly does He mean, stay awake? Think about this. Ask yourself this question. How do you want Jesus to find you when He returns? When Jesus returns, how would you like him to discover you? In what condition? You want him to find you being faithful. Isn't that what you want? So you live every day the way you want Jesus to find you when he returns. Live every moment the way you would like to be found when Jesus comes back. Be faithful all day, every day. That's what it means to stay awake. Stay faithful at all times. It blows my mind when I hear all the prophecy gurus in the world talk about, you know, that, that Jesus is just about to return. And he might. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. You yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. How does a thief come? Unexpectedly. So when everybody starts screaming, oh, he's fixing to come back, oh, he's fixing to come back, you know what that tells me? No, he's not. Because the Bible says he's going to come at a time when nobody expects it. Not at a time when everybody's looking for it. Unexpectedly. That's why you have to stay awake. Listen, I put on my seatbelt every time I get in the car. Can anybody tell me why? Because I don't have any clue when I'm going to be in a wreck or if I'm going to be in a wreck. So what? I get ready every time I get in the car. So I'm always prepared in case I have an accident. You don't have any idea when Jesus is going to come back. Neither do all the prophecy gurus in the world. So be prepared for his return at all times. What does that mean? It means stay faithful. Don't try to get ready thinking you can predict when you can't predict it. Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted the return of Jesus 12 times and been wrong 12 times. And if they predict it 12 more times, they'll be wrong 12 more times. So if we're going to stay faithful, what does that look like? I want to help you to know what staying faithful looks like. We could spend forever trying to answer this question, but I want to give you a very brief summary. I want to give you three things 
to kind of describe what faithfulness looks like. First of all, think about this. Faithfulness in doctrine. Faithfulness in doctrine. In other words, you don't want the Lord to return and find you holding on to a bunch of false teaching. Faithfulness means being spiritually mature enough to discern truth from error. It means knowing God's word well enough that you aren't blown about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, you ain't one of these people who believes anything and everything just because somebody said it and they used the Bible. You want to be found somebody who has the spiritual maturity and a good enough knowledge of the word of God that you're not found believing a bunch of stuff that's not true. You want to be found holding on to the truth. Faithfulness in doctrine. Here's another. Faithfulness in devotion. On the day Jesus returns. You want to be one of those people who is doing his very best to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. You know what faithfulness means? It means giving constant effort and attention to your relationship with the Lord. Always seeking to know him more. Always seeking to love him more through prayer and the word and worship. You want him to find you pursuing love for him and the knowledge of him. Seeking to find your joy in him. You want him to return and find you completely devoted to your relationship with him. Oh, God forbid he would return and find dust on your Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, some of you have enough dust on your Bible to write damnation with your finger. You don't want Jesus to come back and find you one of those ones who hasn't whispered a prayer any time but over your supper in months and months. You don't want him to come back and find you to be one of those ones who has neglected his word or neglected public worship. You want to be found as one of those who has pursued your love relationship and faithfulness in doctrine, faithfulness in devotion, and finally faithfulness in duty. Faithfulness very simply means obeying his commands. In your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, you want to be found to be someone who is striving by his grace and strength in you to live the way he's instructed you to live. You want to be one of those people that when you disobey, you confess it, you turn from it, and you resume your life of obedience. You want to be found to be an obedient child, doing what he's instructed you to do. Listen, we can talk a lot about what it means to stay faithful at all times, but we can summarize it by saying we want to stay faithful in doctrine. We want to stay faithful in devotion. We want to stay faithful in duty. 2 Peter 3, 13 and 14. But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are looking for these things, be diligent, do your best, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Stay faithful in doctrine. Stay faithful in devotion. Stay faithful in duty. Listen, when we look at Mark 13, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. And with the destruction of the temple, the end of the old religious order. True religion would now be centered in him. What does that mean? I'll give you a verse to summarize what that means. John 14, 6. Jesus said, now I am the way. The way to God. 
I am the truth, the truth about God and salvation. I am the life, the source of life, the way to eternal life. Now, Jesus is the center of all true religion. And what Jesus said would happen about Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, it did in fact happen exactly the way he predicted within the time frame he predicted. Mark 13 also predicts his return. The current heaven and earth will be destroyed. There will be a new heaven and earth where Christ will reign over the people of God forever. And just as surely as his first prediction came to pass, so will the second. Jesus is coming back. And on that day, nothing else will matter. Whether you have a lot of money or no money, it won't matter. Whether you live in a nice home or a tool shed, it won't matter. Whether you're a PhD or a junior high dropout, it won't matter. Whether you're in perfect physical condition or confined to a hospital bed, it won't matter. On the day Jesus returns, what you have accumulated and what you have accomplished will not matter. The only thing that will matter on that day is whether or not you are found faithful. Amen. That's the only thing that's going to matter. And here's the thing. You have no way of knowing when Jesus will return. It will happen suddenly and it will happen unexpectedly. You will not have time to get ready. So you have to stay ready. Be faithful at all times. Bow your heads.